For those of you who don't know who I am, my name's Asha, and alongside my husband, Matt, we are pastor the youth ministry here, and we are just loving it. It is good. God is good. Young people are awesome, and I just love seeing what God is doing in the next generation. They are our next leaders. They are our next preachers. Shout out to some of our apprentices on the front row here, one of them getting baptized tonight. Hey. <laughs> So good. God is good. And he is at work. He is at work. And I, I don't know, I just, the last three Sunday morning messages, if you have not been in attendance on Sunday mornings, that's okay. I'm not, that's all good. It's fine. As long as you're here on Sunday nights, fine. Right? But if you have not been in attendance and you also have not gotten the podcast, it is not optional. You must. You must. It is not a, just a kind suggestion. Like it's, I will literally hunt you down and you need to listen to them. And I just, thank you. Thank you, Pastor Jack. Like for sharing so openly and vulnerably from your heart and really what God is speaking to you about personally, I know. But honestly, filled with direction and vision and conviction, Holy Spirit conviction. Oh man, <laughs> What is it that you say coming out of shoot number 32 or something like that? <laughs> Pastor Jack Haynes, yeah. It's that kind of message, okay? Three of them in a row, go and listen to them, okay? <sighs> Good. And no, no, I just had this thought because us Sunday night crowd, you know, I'm, I go to the mornings as well, but you guys have been missing out on these AM messages. And so we're going to talk about this tonight, <laughs> We're going to talk about what Pastor Jack has been talking about, following Jesus, following Jesus, not just believing in Jesus, following Jesus. And so if tonight is a taste of anything that happens on Sunday mornings, which is probably like a 5%, but you know, go and listen to them. Okay. So just to give us a little, you know, start off, burn some energy. I'd like you all to stand up. We're just going to play like a quick game of follow the leader, you know, like we all know it's pretty, it's pretty simple. So, you know, I don't know, like, let's, let's just stand on one leg. Go for it. If you can, if you can't, it's, it's all good. It's all good. You know, and then if you, if you feel like it, you could maybe just like do a little, little hop if you can. It's all good. It's all good. Sunday night crowd, right? <laughs> you know, and then maybe we could just like do some chicken dance. I don't know. Chicken dance. Wiggle, wiggle, you know. It's all good. All right. You feel good? You feel me. Follow the leader. You guys can sit down. <laughs> follow the leader. Don't you love that? When you follow someone or something, but usually someone, the purpose of following is because you don't really know what's going on. <laughs> you don't really know the way. You don't know what's going to happen next. You don't, you don't know. I knew what I was going to do next. I was making it up on the spot though, but that's okay. And you know, when Jesus called his disciples, we read it all through the gospels. He didn't say, come and believe in me. No, he said, come and follow me because he is, he was, and he still is the way, the truth, and the life. He knows the way to the Father. No one can get to the Father except through him. Come and follow me. That's what he says. Jesus came to earth to change things, not to keep them the same. Jesus wasn't here to be tame 
and to just satisfy a crowd? No. He was here to turn the world on its head, everything that they thought they knew, they didn't know, and to satisfy an audience of one, his Father in heaven. And the invitation that he gives to all of us to follow him is to do the same. It's not to blend in and look like them. It is to do the same. You know, I often like to, you know, read about the disciples, think about the disciples, and I resonate with each and every single one of them and all of their shortcomings so much. Oh, thank you, God, for keeping them in the Bible. (laughs) So much. They were sinners. Sometimes I like to think that they were a bit slow to catch on to what Jesus was doing, where he was going, you know, a bit slow. They forgot things, (laughs) just like me. They asked really silly questions and they thought way too highly of themselves. They were selfish. They were jealous of one another. And one of them betrayed Jesus for some cash and some worldly comfort. And I don't want to like hate on them too much because I resonate with them. I find myself sometimes, or even most of the time, in that same boat with them. And I struggle with the same things. And sometimes I just can't really see where Jesus is going to follow him, to be able to follow him. You know, good intentions, poor follow through. Anyone else? (laughs) Anyone else? Yeah, yeah. Good intentions. The heart's there. The Lord sees the heart. Lucky. (laughs) You know, I want to spend... A little bit of time in the Gospels tonight and focus in on one of the disciples. And uh, Pastor Jack was talking, to him, talking about him a little bit this morning, uh, but we're going to go there. This, this guy, he is part of Jesus' inner three. So we've got the disciples and then Jesus has this, his inner three, which is Peter, James and John. And, you know, to set the scene, Peter's just, uh, sorry, Jesus has just had this last supper with his disciples. He's, you know, told them about what's, what's coming, what's about to happen. And he takes this in, these inner three into the garden of Gethsemane with him, with him. He's about to pray and ask his father in heaven, like, Lord, please, if there's any other way that we can do this, but not my will, yours be done, Lord. You know, that's what he prays. And he shares with them that his soul is crushed with grief. Like that's what it says in the Bible, crushed with grief. And he needs them to keep watch and to pray for him. What a privilege. But unfortunately, again and again and again, they give in to their flesh and they fall asleep. It's late actually like from what I read it looks like it's kind of like early hours of the morning kind of time and they keep falling asleep right up until Judas comes with the Roman soldiers to betray and arrest Jesus and the gospels tell us at this point the pinnacle of Jesus ministry the moment that he's been telling them about. At this point, I just want to get it right, all the disciples deserted him and fled. 
after everything, after everything they'd heard, all the miracles they'd seen, all the, they fled. Except for one. And we'll pick it up in uh, chapter 54 of Luke 22. It says, so they arrested him and led him to the high priest's home, Jesus. And Peter followed. Yes, go Peter! At a distance. Peter followed at a distance. And I, I don't want to, I don't want to hack on Peter too much because he was doing better than the rest of them who ran away. But I find it fascinating that Peter follows at a distance. You read through the Gospels the, the beautiful conversations that Jesus has with Peter. This amazing intimacy that it feels like they have. And he follows at a distance. Like, wow. And you know, the thing that I've never really realized about this moment, this, these early hours of the morning when Jesus is arrested, is how many people were most likely there? I've always thought, well, there's Jesus, there's Peter, there's James, there's John, there's Judas, and then maybe another like five or 10 Roman officials, soldiers, you know, whatever. So maybe like 15, 20 people-ish. And it's always just been a weird thing to me that the Bible notes that Peter follows at a distance because I'm like, there's not that many people there. How do you follow at a distance without being creepy? Like, just either be with them or not. Just run away with the rest of them. Like, what are you, like, lurking behind the trees? Like, <laughs> you just want to see what's going on, but, like, don't want to be obvious. Like, no. And... <laughs> And you read actually earlier up in verse 47, it says, but even as Jesus said this, a crowd appeared, led by Judas, sorry, approached, (laughs) just appear, (laughs) approached, led by Judas, one of the 12 disciples. And through the research that I've done, what most people say, from what I can understand, is that there would have actually been around 450 Roman soldiers plus the temple guards. So what can, most people can estimate is that there probably would have been around 600 people there. That's a crowd. That's not just like a bunch of people. That, that is a crowd of people. That's more than the amount of people that are in this room right now. That's a crowd. And here's the thing. It's easy. It's so easy to follow at a distance when there is a crowd And not, this wasn't a crowd of people that were like leaning into Jesus, being like, yeah, show us your miracles. Yeah, we want to be healed. No, no, no. This was a crowd of enemies. Peter and Jesus were the minority. They were not liked. And it is easy to follow at a distance in a crowd full of people against you. But what made Peter follow at a distance? Instead of following right beside or right behind his master. What? Jesus, he was wrongfully accused. And Peter would have felt that injustice. Surely he would have felt that injustice. So what kept him on the sideline? And I want to know the answer to this because if we aren't careful, we can find ourselves with Peter. Stuck on the sidelines, following from a distance in the comfortable lane, you know? Was it, was it the fact that Peter was just pursuing his own safety? 
It was a dangerous situation. You know, Jesus said it himself. Why have you come to arrest me with like swords and clubs? Like, what am I, some revolutionary? Like, that's what Jesus says. Was it literally for his own safety? Was it comfort? Would following from a distance cost him less? And then the question that I then ask is, well, was it his desire for safety and comfort, the reason for then what happened next. And in verse 55, we we read what happens next. Just keep that in your mind, safety, comfort. The guards, they lit a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat around it. And Peter joined them there. And a servant girl noticed him in the firelight and began staring at him kind of weird. And finally, she said, this man was one of Jesus' followers. But Peter denied it. Woman, he said, I don't even know him. And after a while, someone else looked at him and said, you must be one of them. No, man, I am not, Peter retorted. About an hour later, someone else insisted this must be one of them because he is a Galilean too. He had an accent, pretty hard to hide that. But Peter said, men, I don't know what you're talking about. And immediately while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And at that moment, the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Oh, you can imagine that moment. Jesus is in the high priest's office and through some cracked window or something, they lock eyes. And he looks at Peter. Peter's like, darn it. You, you predicted that this would happen and it still happened. I even had a heads up about the weak flesh inside of me and it still happened. Suddenly the Lord's words flash through Peter's mind before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny three times that you even know me. Oh, and Peter left the courtyard Weeping bitterly. Oh, man. Peter is not having a great day. (laughs) Falls asleep instead of praying. He follows at a distance cautiously. He finds himself sitting by the fire with Jesus' enemies, warming his hands, denying that he ever knew Jesus. And then he left. I mean, I get it. I get it. But he left. He left Jesus. And then in Luke 23, in verse 26, it says, As they led Jesus away, Jesus has been on trial. He's getting crucified. They've whipped and beaten him, mocked him. And then as they led Jesus away, a man named Simon, no, 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 not Simon Peter. A man named Simon, who was from Cyrene, happened to be coming in from the countryside. Just, just passing by, stumbled upon this big commotion. Oh, what's going on here? And the soldiers seized him and put the cross on him and made him carry it behind Jesus. This random guy made to carry the cross of Jesus for him. None of his disciples present, each one having deserted him. So a random traveler is made to carry the cross of Jesus. Man. That should have been Peter. 
It could have been Peter or any of the other disciples, but they left. No one was there. You know, the most amazing thing that I find about this whole entire story of Peter following at a distance is that it's even recorded in the Bible. Just a little side note, because when you stop and think about the significance of what is happening in this moment, this is the crucifixion. This guy that was telling everyone that he is the promised Messiah and he's God's son and, you know, he's healing people, claiming that he can forgive sins. This is the moment. And then all of a sudden, we're drawn to the fact that Peter is there following at a distance. Who cares? (laughs) In comparison to what's happening with Jesus, who cares that Peter's following at a distance? I mean, Matthew, he didn't even mention it in his gospel. It was that insignificant. And you know, if we truly, truly believe that the whole Bible is the inspired word of God himself, would these writers not have been pressed by the Holy Spirit to include this? to write this and for it to have meaning and benefit in our lives today. And stick with me here because this is this moment that's happening here with Peter is a stark contrast to when Jesus declared Peter the rock that he would build his church on. Stark contrast. In Matthew 16, you read about that and it's this conversation between Jesus and his disciples where Jesus is saying, well, who does everyone say that I am? And they're like, oh, some say Elijah, some say this, some say that. And then he asks them, but who do you say that I am? And who is it that speaks up? It's Peter. And he had this true belief, this true revelation that Jesus was who he was, saying that he was if that made sense. (laughs) You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And then Jesus says to him, you've gotten it. (laughs) You understand. And now I'm going to build my church on you. You are the rock on which I'm going to build my church. And I just can't help but wonder if when Peter left that courtyard weeping bitterly, he took himself back to this very conversation that he had with Jesus, where Peter called him the Messiah, Jesus called him the rock on which he would build his church. Like, wow. But you know, that's actually not the full scope of that conversation. It's only part of it. And Jesus goes on to tell his disciples, okay, well, now that you know that I am the Messiah, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to suffer. I'm going to be killed. But then I'm going to rise three days later. It's great. And guess who speaks up in that moment? Peter, our good friend, Peter. And Peter took him aside and he said, no, 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 Lord. That's not, that's not going to happen to you. And Jesus turned to Peter. This is after. You're the Messiah, Great, you're the rock that I'm going to build my church on. Get away from me, Satan. Rock, Satan. (laughs) In one conversation, you are a dangerous trap to me. You're seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. And then Jesus says to his disciples, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. 
But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world, but you lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? Does Peter take himself back to this conversation, this whole conversation? Jesus is giving him what he needs to know for the road ahead. And it's like Peter is, you can just see it in the garden. Peter is trying to follow Jesus. But there's this crowd and he's the minority and he's surrounded by enemies. And the question that's in his mind is, "Will, will my life get taken too? You know, I think of when, you, when you're going somewhere that you don't know where you're going, back before we had like Google Maps and stuff, and you, you just follow your family member or your friend or whatever, and you're like, oh, yeah, just follow behind me. It's all good. It's usually because you don't know the way. And when you fall behind or you lose them, you lose sight of them, it can be quite a problem. <laughs> you know, there's the friend that pulls over into the breakdown lane and patiently waits for you to catch up. You know, they they notice where you are the whole time. And then there's that friend that they just don't wait. They forgot that you were following them. They're just, you know, hoping that you kind of half know the way. They're just getting to the place that they need to go. And I want you to hear me here. Jesus is so kind. And the Bible says that he is patient He wants everyone to come to repentance. He wants no one to perish. He wants people to know Him and He is patient and He will wait. But Jesus is not waiting for His followers to get their act together. You don't know Jesus? Different story different story. There's patience there. But if you are, you are declaring that you are a follower of Jesus, he's not waiting. He's not going to slow down in building the kingdom of God on this earth, waiting for us to just, you know, nope. He is using whoever is available, willing, ready, and chooses to follow him, chooses the narrow path, chooses to pick up, take up that cross. They're the people that he's taken with him. You can chill in the sidelines, but he ain't waiting for you. He didn't wait to die on that cross. He didn't wait for Peter to reappear and be like, oh Lord, I'm so sorry, I forgot that you're the Messiah and I'm the rock. And you know, no, no, he didn't wait. He died. He didn't wait for his disciples to realize where they should be. No. Peter knew that Jesus was the Messiah. Jesus called him the rock on which he would build his church. And do you know, church, that he is not done building? And he wants to use you and he wants to use me. What are you building? What are you building? What is it that Jesus is calling you to build? And how and what and when are you going to be a part of what Jesus is building? Not what you're building, what Jesus is building. You know, I think this season of our lives, I'm talking about people in my age bracket, young adults, young families, it's so easy. I mean, it goes for anyone, but I'm just speaking my own experience. It's so easy to build your own life. Money, house, car, career, family, kids. Broccoli costs like, $15, 
And don't get me wrong, these things are not bad things to build. And God wants us to live a beautiful life. And He wants to provide for us and give us comfort and beauty. But what stops us from being a part of what Jesus is building? It's that pursuit of safety, that pursuit of comfort, the lure of worldly things, worldly passions. It's following at a distance. Because if we aren't careful, we can find ourselves around the fire with Jesus' enemies warming our hands. And Peter, he has this moment of weakness. He probably had so many moments of weakness. But then he turns it around in repentance and he remembers who Jesus is, who he truly believes that Jesus is. And he remembers who Jesus had called him to be. And he goes on to become an apostle who Jesus literally does build his church on. What a gift that we have in the scriptures. And maybe you see yourself in Peter because man, I sure do. I've been struggling to see who Jesus is and who he's calling me to be as a follower of him in the season that I'm in. And what a gift to see in Peter that I am not my mistakes or my weaknesses or my slip-ups or my moments of just forgetting who God is and who I am. Team, you can come and join me up here. The beautiful promise that I am who he says that I am every moment of my life. And the calling that he has for me to follow him and to build the kingdom with him. It is not determined by my faithfulness. It is determined by his faithfulness. And why do we follow Jesus? Why? I think so often we can turn following Jesus into a selfish act. Hear me out. It's the morally like right thing to do. It's the safe road. It's the comfortable path. There's blessings. There's forgiveness of sin. There's provision. There's mercy. There's strength and peace. It sounds good to me. Sound good to you? It makes our lives better following Jesus. And that is all true. That is all true. But that can't be it. That can't be the reason that I follow Jesus because it's not enough. Can I tell you why I follow Jesus? Because He is God, maker of heaven and of earth. And if He calls creation into being and it follows, when He calls me to follow, I will follow before any blessings have come, before I know about the provision or the forgiveness or anything. I am created by the Creator and I will follow. Because He saved my life. 
He washed my sins away. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And He is not just worthy of my worship. He is worthy of my life. I don't choose to follow Jesus because it is right or it is safe. I choose to follow Jesus because how else, how else could I possibly express the depth of my gratitude any other way? Our motive cannot be because it is right or it is safe or there is blessings or there is heaven at the end of it all. It's not enough. Following Jesus, it is hard. It ruffles feathers, it overturns tables, it speaks truth even when it hurts. It stands up for what is right. It's not forsaking Jesus even though I am rejected by the rest of the world. It's sacrificing my worldly lustful pleasures for a life that upholds a righteous standard and honours the way that Jesus tells me that I should live. And I follow Jesus because it is because of His death that I am alive. And I want to tell you tonight, Jesus is looking for followers not people who are sitting on the sidelines, not people who get distracted and lose sight of Him. He is looking for totally committed, no matter the cost, no matter the inconvenience, the sacrifice, followers of Him. And He is inviting you and me to become that and to build with Him. Don't build your own life. Build the kingdom. Build Jesus' kingdom on the earth and let Him take care of your life because He will. And thank goodness, thank goodness for the example of Peter that we have in the Bible. He had his weaknesses and Christ still used him to build His church. And then we fast forward to Peter's letters to the church and you can hear it. You can hear it in his writing, this real revelation of his own journey of repentance and transformation as a follower of Jesus. I just want to read this to you and then I'll pray. And then we're just going to sing for a minute. In 1 Peter chapter 2, he says, For God called you to do good, even if it means suffering. Just as Christ suffered for you, He is your example and you must follow in His steps. He never sinned, nor ever deceived anyone. He did not retaliate when He was insulted, nor threaten revenge when He suffered. He left His case in the hands of God, who always judges fairly. He personally carried our sins in His body on the cross so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. By His wounds, you are healed. Once you were like sheep who wandered away, but now you've turned to your shepherd, the guardian of your souls. Would you stand with me?
it is because of you. Thank you. And Lord, what else can I do? What else can I say? How else could I live? But in reverence of you, submitted to you. And God, I declare right now and whoever it is that is joining me in this prayer, that I will follow you to the very end, to the very last day, the very last breath. I will follow you no matter the cost, no matter the inconvenience, no matter the sacrifice or the things that I must lay down in order to pick up my cross. Oh, Jesus, I will follow you.